Welcome to the Production First Mindset, a podcast where we discuss the world of building code from the lab all the way to production. We explore the tactics, methodologies, and metrics used to drive real customer value by the engineering leaders actually doing it. I'm your host, Liran Chemovich, CTO and co-founder of Frugal. Today is going to be all about data-intensive applications and operating without staging environments. With us is Enav Mas, VP R&D at Rebi. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Great being here. Thank you for inviting me, Liran. Enav, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm uh, leading Rebi Engineering for more than uh, two years now. Very talented group of people. We're mainly working on uh, data-related technologies. So what is Rebi all about? Oribi is a big data product. Let's start from that. We provide websites, event data as a service, creating uh, deep insights on our customers' website, mainly by collecting all website actions automatically. Website events, big data, those are some big words. Kind of, what do you do? What do your customers get out of the product? So the core product IP is the ability to detect meaningful events on the website. There are so many actions going on our website. We click on something, we open page. We're doing that in real time. We're getting all these actions with high scale and processing that to get insight of top of that actions. So essentially, instead of having to add Google Analytics to specific events and then manually kind of adding and removing and instrumenting that you kind of collect everything all the time and then you make sense out of it exactly that's interesting so what challenges do you face kind of engineering way engineering wise doing that there's many but if I would pick like the most challenging thing is that already faces high increase of traffic all the time as our website of the customers are dynamic their traffic is eventually our traffic so we have both scale peaks and incremental scale up of this old traffic incoming to the system. So you have to deal both with, you know, the system is doing 10%, 50%, whatever, month over month, year over year, growing rapidly. And at the same time, you also have to worry about, you know, those peaks, you know, Black Friday or Super Bowl ads or whatever. All of a sudden, some websites are doing 2x or 10x of what they used to do. Exactly. And sometimes it's uh, just a new website installing Gorebi and then there's more and more traffic. So it keeps on dynamically. It's like you're running marathon in a constant pace and you keep getting this pace more and more higher. And in the meantime, people telling you now jump, now do like flick flack and stuff like that. So that's the way it feels. And how are you managing all the data coming into the system? So we're really proud of the system that we built. We have a big data processing pipeline running on the cloud. That's big words, but eventually it's a lot of components, elastic ones. It's uh, microservices, data solutions, storage, and more technology elements that support elasticity of incoming data. They can grow horizontally. They can grow vertically to support a dynamically changing traffic. Now, besides the scale of the data, what other challenges are you facing as you're ingesting and analyzing the data? We want to create a qualified insights. So it should be not a matter of only collecting the data. 
you want to bring value to your customers on top of this data. And there's other, like you mentioned, Google Analytics, there's more, we're not in a void in this product business area. So we want to rise up and by doing also the automatic collection, but also bringing this valuable insights of top of this data. So how do you kind of without the insights out of the raw data streams? So we have a great product and the insights is um, features, part of this product. For example, if you want to know a sequence of actions at your website, assuming like some visitors sign up and then register to some blog and then hearing the podcast. Mm -hmm. And you want to see what is the ratio of that, where do you lose people, what's the bouncing rate, what brings people eventually to listen to more and more podcast chapters. So we can create a lot of that insights out of this data automatically for you. And you don't need any BI or developers. Those are great people, but you can just get into a Ruby dashboard and get uh, those insights instantly. And if I go back to the challenge, doing this, computing this insights along with the incremental scale, so you also write a lot of data and query a lot of data. With, when you combine that, that can be like a data party craziness of, uh, you know, combining scale with performant queries. So those features, for instance, you would automatically identify events such as signing up for the website or registering for a blog post and then kind of automatically extract those features from all the traffic? Yeah, exactly. And we're doing that, but using several and many data solutions different so we can maximize for each feature and insight mm -hmm. the way we store the data. In a way, it's very close to the way that you will query it to get the insight. So it's also, it's not only a data stream, it's also multiple data solutions per feature to get that insights. Now, one of the challenges in working with data is that it doesn't really exist in the lab. It doesn't really exist on your laptop, at least not you know, high quality, high volume data. So how do you adapt your software development lifecycle to focus on that data that's available only in production? First, can I mention scale again? How many scale will say in this? Uh, it will be interesting. But uh, so everything, every change, every improvement or new design of part of the system must be in notion of scale. So probably people that hear us now thinking, what is scale? So scale is really relative, right? I can say it's not a matter of competition, who sleeps less at night or who is bigger. In every system, there's a notion of ratio, usually a matter of amounts that the system behaves to. So uh, it's funny. I researched for the definition of scale on the web. I got many results. One of them was the definition of large scale refers to something that is grand or that is big. An example of large scale is wedding in which you invite 300 people. Oh, so that's a large scale wedding. <laughs> yeah, probably not the, the Israeli weddings. But uh, the conclusion, yeah, don't look for others' definitions of scale. If you feel that your system is handling large amount of data, keep on with that and plan for ongoing scale. And I think if I go back to your question on the software development life, 
this is the most challenging thing because you don't just plan a UI component or some new service or refactor. Everything gets another big matter of doing that in scale. Now, early in the intro, I mentioned that you guys don't have staging environments. Is that scale part of the reason for that? Yeah, it is. Actually, it's one of the assumptions because on the big data world, staging is not a magic. In Arabi, for example, we have large data processing pipeline, as I mentioned, and dynamically scaling it out according to traffic while in staging, that's a challenge. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that you at Oribi don't have a staging environment. And I'm wondering, is that because of the scale you are always obsessing about because uh, the amount of data you're processing? Right. It's one of the main reasons on the big data world, staging is not a magic. In Oribi, for example, we have, we just mentioned a large data processing pipeline, which dynamically scaled in and out according to the traffic. So its main functionality is to behave according to the data flows with various data amounts. If you take that to staging, you need to build something that it's a breathing system on staging as well to get such amount of data into it. Because most of our product features are being calculated eventually on top of large data sets, like turning the data into insights. Now, assume that we will duplicate all of the core of it into the staging environment to have that amount of data to get value out of the staging, because if not, the staging will get useless if it won't get like a real stream of data. Creating such data stream, it involves high amounts and not trivial. We're talking on cost, resources, someone need to maintain like another yet duplicated environment to get that impactful, actually. So today you're essentially doing everything in production? Kinda. It's not, uh, you know, I want to give uh, great credit to the team because we, we, we don't have a lot of uh, failovers once we get to production. So something without the staging part is still working good for us. And there's reason for that because we're not only working on production. Uh, we have more methodologies. For example, we have uh, unit tests. We have integration tests between uh, services, between the UI to the UI backend, and um, many other circles of confidence to eventually get to production, code review, and so on. Maybe the, the interesting one is that in Oribi, we're heavily using the product ourselves. So that's like if eventually we missed something, okay? We got into production, we did all the component tests, all the test methodologies and so on, and we something got missed. We'll get a very quick note about that from our own company members because they are using Oribi as well. So you've brought on, you know, quality and testing, so kind of, where do you focus your efforts? I mean, out of the, all the efforts you have, unit testing, integration testing, manual testing, user testing, kind of, where do you put your chips? It's not in one place. I think it's never, might be not the good approach to put all, everything in one place. So we have like a calculated risk management. Unit test is easy. 
So we, our goal is to cover maximum what we can with the unit tests. On top of that, we add component and integration test where it makes sense. So it has a less portion only on the more critical paths. And as you go more and more in the components that are involved in the testing, you, the, the portions get smaller. Like in the end of all of it, we also have manual QA to get some, you know, the quality assurance on that. And it's like it helps us not to put all the all of our confidence in one place and to mitigate the risk. Now it's interesting you're mentioning manual QA because it's pretty much fallen out of favor over the past few years. So kind of where do you use it? Where do you find it most beneficial for you? Well, just a side note, I, I think what we just we are recording now, my vision is not to be popular. But to make the out of the best that you can for the team, product and business. So we don't have staging, for example, because it's, uh, it, don't, it won't bring value. And uh, if I calculate time and cost, the value will be really small uh, with the impact. Same with end-to-end tests. Well, we're running really fast. We call the startups, right? Like to say that. But our sprints are, we're running really fast. And when you run fast on your application and you have end-to-end, for example, everyone say, I have fully covered automation, no QA and so on. From my perspective on our UI, if I'll take that approach, my developers will do more than 60% out of their time. They will do automation. Now, again, it's, it's a matter of cost and value. So we keep the end-to-end on the most critical path, but all the features that get evolved all the time, this will be covered by manual QA, and that increased our velocity in more than three, like 3x velocity of the system with just one manual QA because we got into a place that we did more automation test refactoring than actual coding. Yeah, I mean, especially for the front-end, end-to-end tests can be very complex to write, very, very fragile, and they can be very finicky. And so you can often spend so much time maintaining them and troubleshooting them instead of actually doing value generating work. Obviously, it depends on your use case and the technologies you're using and all of that. I definitely see some areas where manual testing can carry the weight quite easily, especially if, it's, if you can afford some regression. And I think the last point that you just said, that you said it's gold. We can't point to 100% and say we won't have staging, we won't have fully coverage of automation, and we also want to be really fast. You need to eventually be a bit tolerant on something. So we have some tolerant measurement on the regression, and we have a KPI of how portion of that regression we can live with. And everyone knows that there might be that portion, but it's okay because, again, if you do the cost per value, you, that enables us to do what we are doing today. I know Google very popularized the concept of SLOs, of service-level objectives, and traditionally it's, it's around you know, availability, around uptime or latency, kind of setting your metrics for being there. And what you're doing is kind of you're setting SLO for quality. You're saying we can have up to two regressions a month or a quarter because it's not going to make a big impact on the business and it allows us to move that much faster. Yes, exactly. And again, it might be less popular 
but like seeing retrospectively what we've done in the last two years, that gave us like amazing freedom to be in the place that we are at. What kind of culture does it require to move so fast and take those risks? Your questions are amazing. <laughs> so it's interesting because every time I stop to think on, mainly you need to have very talented and ownership kind of approach at your team. So I think that limited me with hiring juniors, for example, because you can't, it, it, there's a lot of frustration getting someone to the team and say, hey, you don't have end-to-end, you don't have staging, you need to be very responsible on your code, etc. And then the good luck, production in two days, we will meet you there. So it's not, that's rough, right? Yeah, walking without a safety line can be challenging when you're new to the, to the company, to the concept, to the tech. Yeah, it's like jump out of the airplane and get your parachute, create your parachute while you're diving down. So it means that we point to seniors. We have a fully seniors team. And it's not, I think seniority is not a portion. It's not a matter of time, like how much time, what, how long is your experience? It's about a, a little about culture and the ability to be fully accountable on your task. So it's your ownership, it's your responsibility. And this is something that I work with my group and it's highest value for the group to be accountable from end to end, like data, UI, QA, DevOps on the tasks. And also to be a lot of uh, very collaborative on that and to bring the clarity to say on time, there's a risk We'll hit the timeline, we'll miss the timeline, I need more help, and so on. There seems to be so much going on in your production environments, especially with so many deploys going there without going through staging or other testing environments. So I'm kind of wondering, how do you monitor what's going on in production? We have multiple monitoring levels. Again, we invested a lot of time. It gave us the safety to go like we do and also to track problems on time. So we sleep at night, we sleep well. In the past year, we had only two meaningful kind of downtimes on the system, which were short eventually, and the monitoring helped us. And there's many levels. So everything is monitored, and um, like it's not like CPU and memory, it's more like all the functionality of the system, it can be average query time or the concurrency of the thread pool. Everything is monitored and it helps us to react on time for scale picks and incremental picks as well. Some pretty impressive stuff. Now, there's one question I love asking all of my guests since I'm dealing a lot with debugging at Rookout and I have to wonder what's the bug that you remember the most from Oribi or from earlier on in your career? Okay, it's interesting. I wonder if someone uh, had said to you, I don't have any. <laughs> uh, but we do, you know, we're human and we're built for that. We have like the KPIs that enable us some percentage of failures. It, uh, we had a human mistake, actually. Uh, we are using extensively Elasticsearch on our system. That's a very powerful data store. I think it's also more and more common in the Israeli tech and in general worldwide. And uh, we did some change. We don't have staging. 
And uh, someone from the team eventually got to delete all of our Elasticsearch clusters. Mm-hmm. Nice. They called me on the phone. Let's say, enough, maybe, maybe you want to sit down. And I was really panicked and say, we just, we didn't know it's possible, but we just removed all the Elasticsearch clusters, all of them. And uh, for two hours, I waited for someone to say, well, it's a joke. We fooled you, <laughs> but it, it didn't come. And that was a tough one. And we handled that really quickly. Like in six hours, we were back and everything were flowing. And um, like the communication with the customers, that all was like, I was really proud at the team. And we learned a lot of that. But we also learned that someone can accidentally remove data stores, which is bad. And uh, recovering from backup it's not a matter of hours. So we did some like creative stuff there to get on our fit. And I learned that the team can handle that. Like leave aside that this is like crazy mistake, but everyone took like a lot of responsibility and ownership. And it was like, I watched that on the side. Again, I thought I, I was fooled. So I, I also waited for someone to say that, but I, I watched from the side and I was really, like really proud of it. Are you hiring to Ruby? We are hiring all the time. I think everyone are hiring, right? It's weird if you're not in Israel, but uh, we are hiring mainly backend people that love data. Amazing stuff. So come join Arib if you're interested in big data and uh, walking without a staging environment. Yeah, and it will be great fun and interesting, I promise. So that's a wrap on another episode of the Production First Mindset. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Let us know what you think of the show and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Production First. Thanks again for joining us.